Okay, you got to listen carefully to this because it might be a little different. <laughs> Turn to Ephesians 1, verses 7 through 10. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. I'll be reading. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which is set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him. Things in heaven and things on earth. Blessed is the reading of God's holy Word to us. Father, help me. I beg of You to help me. Teach. Teach what is written here. To unfold the meaning that was delivered by the hand and the mind of Your Apostle. And that we all see it. And we see it clearly on the page. And that You cause our hearts to be moved. And to love what we see. To cherish this redemption that is found only in Christ. And do this, Father as You have planned before You ever created, to the glory of Your holiness and of Your eternal Son as our resurrected Lord over all things, I pray. Amen. I can say easily, confidently, that God has a great plan for every Christian. And He intends for every believer to lead a purpose-driven life. That plan was hidden in God's mind for ages past. And then finally, it was revealed in time In human history, it was revealed fully in the incarnation, in the life, and the death, and the resurrection of a man, Jesus Christ. See, God does not appeal to our natural felt needs. He appeals to His plan. And He chooses to change hearts of sinners so that they will see His plan and love His plan and cherish His plan as the all-encompassing purpose of their lives. Human beings are meant to not only experience the salvation in Jesus, but we are meant to understand it. We have seen that we have been adopted 
Miracles happened in the heart with the good news of Jesus coming. But we're not left there. Before He ever came, He gave the book. We call it the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scripture. And since His coming, the apostles have unfolded the meaning and the purpose of all of this for our lives that we are to, to delve into and to grow up into the knowledge of this great salvation. God had a plan before Genesis 1.1. And that plan, Paul tells us, that if you're in here right now and you love the Lord Jesus as your Savior, he says before he ever created, his plan was to save you. In particular, your name, your individuality, you. And in this passage, he calls it the plan. He calls it the mysterion or the mystery. And that mystery, in its fullness, was not to be known until Christ actually came in history and accomplished our redemption. You can call that mystery the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. And along with the Hebrew Scripture, God made it clear, this great mystery, for every Christian to know it. To cherish it. See, naturally, our, our overwhelming felt needs, we know them really well and they're constant in our lives, they are often used to blind us to our actual greatest need, which is redemption and forgiveness of sins. Our natural felt needs, they drive us to say, I need to have the great job. I need to have more money. I need to have a husband or a wife, or a better husband or wife. I need to have children. I need to have more entertainment. I need to have more Disneyland tickets. And then you mix those felt needs with our culture that is just swimming in the indoctrination that there is no such thing as objective truth. Is something that is actually outside of what you feel that is actually right as opposed to wrong, that is actually good as opposed to evil. And all that leads to human beings being helped along the pathway to never feel the need for redemption, for forgiveness. Sins. And thus, people go on living according to their natural felt needs instead of their deepest, objective, real need before the Creator. That Paul lays out in verse 7 of Ephesians 1. In Him we have redemption. 
through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. And the saddest thing is is that we live in a time when many pastors... Many churches, many Christian strategies to quote-unquote reach people for Jesus are centered on the lost sinner's felt needs. We want to reach them. And so, we'll do church. Wait, wait, wait. You, You don't want to turn them away by talking about their sin and their sin problem and that there's a holy God and therefore there is justice and there is wrath. We can't do that. You don't want to, when you invite them, be clear about redemption from hell. But instead, we will let the world, those who are outside of Christ, in their sin. We will, we will let them set the agenda of how we do. Church, they will tell us what their felt needs are. And then we will tell them, okay, Jesus is the answer. Paul would turn over in his grave if he were here. Instead, let's hear what Paul says here in the New Testament. What is God's plan? What ought I feel that I need? How can my feelings of need match what I objectively need? And he says it this way again in verse 7. In Him, we who are believers now, we have what we objectively needed. Redemption. Through His blood, we have what we objectively needed. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. But here in America, here in Southern California, from the public school systems to the community sports programs for our kids to mainstream media to the university systems throughout this country, they are all infiltrated with the teaching that has the effect of making redemption and Christ's blood appear as archaic. Silly. Millions of people are walking down the 30-year road or the 50-year or the 83-year road into their grave thinking, I'm basically good. And the God that I come up with in my mind is He's tolerant and He's loving, and therefore He could not possibly condemn nice people like, like me. Hitler 
or serial murderers? Maybe. But not me or my children or my friends or my neighbors. And so the problem of guilt before a perfectly holy God is numbed with the novocaine of the prevailing philosophies of our day. But notice Paul says, those first two words in verse 7, in Him. Now, Now the Him in the text is clearly referring back to Jesus, to Christ. Just just read right before. His grace with which God has blessed us in the Beloved. That's Jesus. And so, in Him, Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. Jesus' perfect life and His substitutionary death. That's what blood means. Blood is poured out in, in death as a penalty. That work of Christ obtained redemption for everyone whom God predestined to be adopted as His children. That's what He just said in verse 5. Now, now the word redemption, it means Jesus paid the price to free us from the penalty here in the context of our sin, our slavery to our sin nature and the penalty of it. He paid the price. Now, it's 2016. Christianity has been around for almost 2,000 years. And so the word redemption sounds very religious. But it didn't sound religious to the ones who received this letter in the first century. These Gentiles in Asia Minor. When they heard the word redemption, what they heard is, and what they pictured was, slaves being purchased by another, or sometimes they can even do it themselves, and they purchased their, that slave and then set them free. That's what they heard. That we have redemption now. And then these Gentiles in Asia Minor, the, the, the churches there, they were taught the Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures, that clearly and constantly taught that God is the Redeemer. He's the one who redeemed Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And so Paul is saying here, we who are being saved, we are redeemed. We have been purchased by not ourselves, by someone else. He makes it clear by Christ's blood. There was a price that was in our money. And it purchased us out of our slavery to sin. And so, he says this redemption is found only, only, 
in Him, Jesus Christ. The only thing any of us can do is accept it and go free. You cannot offer some money or a payment or your labor or your work to earn the ransom. He paid the price. And when religion messes this up as it has done Christian religion by saying, now you must do penance. You must do this sacrament. You must add to the price your works in order to have heaven secured. It turns the truth into no truth. It perverts the Gospel. This redemption is for those who are in Christ already. That's why we have it. We're in Him, Paul has said. That is, those who have been born again. They have been made alive. That's a believer. In Peter, I want you to hear Peter. This is how he speaks to believers. And listen for the Word. That's how he speaks to them in 1 Peter 1, verses 17 to 19. Conduct yourselves, the way you live your lives, with fear throughout the time of your exile, means your earthly life down here. Knowing this, that you were, and it's the same word, here's the verb form of it, you were ransomed. from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. You were ransomed with what? Not Roman money, like you would a slave. You were ransomed not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And in Ephesians 1, verse 7, notice Paul doesn't say, in Him we will have redemption. It's not future tense. Nor does he say, we Christians are those who are hard at work in order that we will obtain redemption. He says, we have redemption. Present tense verb. We are presently redeemed, purchased, bought in Him, and secured and free. And He says, in verse 7, this redemption is through or because of the blood of Jesus. 
Meaning Jesus' sacrificial death is what purchased our freedom from the punishment of sin. This is bizarre. This is so bizarre in our day to the natural mind. This, what He just said, you're purchased by Jesus' bloody death. That's primitive. And that is offensive to many people in our culture. So much so, there are thousands of quote-unquote churches this morning throughout the United States of America that are having services and they will never teach that. Mainline denominationalism that has fallen a hundred years ago. They will not come close to teaching in Jesus' horrific, bloody death. God was punishing the sins of all who will be saved. That is anathema to all kinds of people in churches this morning. But you cannot get rid of the blood of Christ and be a believer in the Bible or be a believer in the actual historical Jesus. See, what Paul's driving at is in the Garden of Eden, God pronounced a judgment. The day you sin, By disobeying Me, eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Paul said it this way in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And Paul made it clear in Romans 5 that the reason there is death is because of sin. It's the punishment for sin. Sin came into the world and death through sin. Therefore, all die because all sin. And so, if God, He declares that the wages and the cost of sin is the punishment of death, but then, well, let me change my mind. And He just eliminates that penalty. He would be unholy. He would be unjust. He would have compromised perfect justice. He would have denied His glory in His holiness if He just decided to let bygones be bygones for those who offend Me in sin. Let's just sweep the sin under the rug. He doesn't do that. Indeed, God cannot do that because He cannot sin nor lie. That's why in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews in 9.22 declares, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And then the writer tells us in Hebrews 10.4-5, for it is impossible 
for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so therefore what? Listen to Him. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, He said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired in these animal sacrifices, but a body, a human body, you have prepared for me to be a bloody sacrifice for sin. And so Paul in Ephesians 1, by using the word blood, he's pointing to the Old Testament sacrificial system which was set up purposely by God as pointers to Christ who will come. This is why God who is the Redeemer of Israel out of Egypt on the tenth plague the Passover Lamb, which means God will pass over the households that took the blood of the Lamb and put it on the doorpost and the lintel, and therefore the firstborn son in that household will not be killed like all through Egypt God would kill. Pointing to the man, Jesus Christ. Why Paul calls Him in Corinthians our Passover Lamb. And Paul, now that Christ has come, unfolds it by the Holy Spirit this way in Romans 3. For all, meaning all people, Jews and Gentiles, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. Made right with God legally. Pardoned. They are justified by His grace as a gift. Now listen to Paul. Through the Redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What do you mean, Paul? Okay, this is what I mean. Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. Death. Oh, and it is to be received by A person is not a Christian if they don't believe that. If they don't trust in what Jesus did on the cross as 100% full payment for the punishment of my sin. 
Paul means in our text. We have redemption through His blood. Because Christians are those who are headed toward Revelation chapter 5, starting with verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you, Jesus, were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. And then John says, And then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, I heard the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. At the core, true Christianity is about the blood of Jesus Christ. Our ransom. And Paul makes clear in our text now that this redemption by Christ's blood is what brings forgiveness of all our trespasses. Read it. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Redemption, yes, it's more than forgiveness. But forgiveness is first and foundationally the main transaction between us and God. And it is crucial for every adopted child to get it, to understand it, to swim in it, to live in it. He, he doesn't use a normal word for sin here. He does use the word that we would translate trespasses because it refers to individual sins that we Christians commit. He is saying to the church, he's writing to the church, he's writing to baptized believers, he's saying all of your specific, shameful, embarrassing sins that stick in your memory bank 
He's saying they are all forgiven. They're all paid for. They're erased from your legal record forever by the blood of Jesus. I just want to stick here because we've, we've, we in real, you want practical, here's the practical point of the sermon. This truth should be working itself out week by week in our lives. Because if you are born again, that means you have been thrust into a battle you did not have before. That means you are more aware of your sin. It means because you have new life in Christ, you also have a sin nature that remains. Which means it appeals to you and to me to disobey God. And we are plagued because we have a competing desire to obey and delight in Him. And thus, we feel constantly like we are in a warfare. Because we are. Because the Spirit wars against our flesh. And our flesh wars against the Spirit. So there's your daily life. So, this text practically, Tuesday, this coming week, you sin. I'll pick them. Uncontrolled, sinful anger in lashing out. Nasty, cutting words to your spouse, or children, or an employee. Sexual lust. You clicked on that website. Strife. Jealousy. Selfishness. Okay, you sin. Two minutes later, 20 minutes later, two hours later, the Holy Spirit's conviction reaches your conscience. And you feel horrible. And you look at 1 John 1.9, if we believers confess our sins, He is faithful. He is righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you confess your sins. Yes. Okay, let's get real. You lay down that night or maybe two days later or three days or some grievous sins. It could be three years later. And the enemy of your soul whispers into your mind, what a great Christian you are. I mean, you call yourself a believer in Jesus. You're one of those who's pursuing holiness with all those dirty thoughts that you and I, conscience, know you have in you. Do you really think you're forgiven? You're guilty and you know it deep down. 
maybe you're not really even saved. I mean, if you were, could you think that? Could you feel that? Could you act out that way? Just let it sit. So what do you do? You answer is what you do. Satan or Joe conscience you're right I sinned but my salvation does not now nor has it ever rested upon my sinless performance but it rests upon Jesus' shed blood that paid the ransom for the forgiveness of every transgression of mine. He bought my salvation. He bought my justification. And don't leave Satan or Joe or conscience Look at the text. In Him, in Christ, we, I, have redemption through His blood. I have the forgiveness of my trespasses. And notice, Paul adds, Conscience, demon, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavishes upon me. That's how you answer it. See, Paul is showing us there is no sin that is too big to forgive through the blood of Jesus Christ. And the measure of God's forgiveness to you does not depend on the extent that you beat yourself up over it. There's true repentance and grief, absolutely. You don't have to try to work it up. It's there. It is not measured by your Climbing a mountain and reaching the top because you're being punished or feeling bad for enough hours. It is measured by Christ's blood and it is lavished upon every believer, upon every adopted child. And that word lavished Okay, most of us can relate now. So picture El Porto in the morning, six feet out, and you try to paddle out on your boogie board or your surfboard, and the sets do not stop, and it keeps coming, and you're caught on the inside. Boom, boom, wave after wave is lavishing you. 
That's the picture. His grace after grace of wave after set after wave after set is lavishing His children. His grace just keeps on coming. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. He says it. According to, according to what is this forgiveness by His blood? According to the riches. There's no end to His riches. According to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Let stop there for a second. Th- that phrase, in all wisdom and insight, grammatically it could go with what comes before it. Meaning, with the lavishing of His grace, we are also given the wisdom and the insight. Or it could go with what comes after it, grammatically, like the way the New American Standard Bible translates it, which He lavished upon us, period. And now new sentence. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery. And that could refer to God's wisdom and insight in doing it. I don't think that's what He means. But it could also refer to Insight, wisdom, making known to us the mystery. Okay, I don't. Uh, that's enough for complexity. Let me just say, I think grammatically it belongs with what comes before, and so that's how I take it. And just to get a feel, what do I mean? Here's my paraphrase. God lavished. His grace upon us with the Holy Spirit, with new birth. In other words, infusing wisdom and insight by the Spirit. Okay. He, he did this by making known to us the mystery of His will according to the purpose which He sets forth in Christ. In other words, I think what Paul is saying here is that the wisdom and the insight that were lavished with grace and wisdom and insight, it means that wisdom and insight is the work of God's grace opening our eyes when we hear the Gospel, which he's going to go on to talk about now. The mystery. Okay. When we hear it, I believe, like we have seen in the previous weeks, I'm alive. I see it. How do you not believe this? We have the wisdom and the insight when we hear it to see it. That is God's lavish grace purchased by Jesus Christ. Okay, I hope that helps. Look at verse 9 now. Making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ. Okay. When your ESV says, 
according to His purpose. I don't think that's how we should translate it. But like we saw last week, this is the same word that we saw in verse 5. It should be translated, good pleasure. In other words, the, the New King James translates it this way. And I agree with it. According to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Him, in Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, salvation from sin through Christ was God's pleasurable, happy, joyful plan before He ever spoke anything that is not God into existence. He had a plan. And God in that plan had a timetable. Just pick it up and we'll read through. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, again... In the original here that Paul writes, it is really complicated wording. So I'm not. What I just want to do, just say, look, what Paul is pointing to here is this picture of like a household uh, servant who controls the business, the household. He's got everything in order. He he pictures God as this the household manager of redemptive history, and he has it. He's orchestrated everything perfectly the way He wants it according to His predetermined plan. That's what He's saying. That in God's sovereign wisdom, He has ordered everything in its time. And it all points to, revolves around, and comes from the centerpiece of all creation. The uncreated eternal second person becoming one of them to save them. Jesus Christ. Now, this kind of thinking is in Paul's mind because the Holy Spirit gave it to him. Jesus taught it and therefore we're supposed to get it from him. So if you remember back in Galatians, listen to the way Paul says it in Galatians 4.4. When the fullness of time had come. Now, God sent forth His Son. Born of a woman, born under the law. In other words, Paul's got this idea of redemptive history that God is working out. And it is His plan to unite everything in Jesus Christ. In the garden, mankind, by our representative, was plunged into sin. And right there at the very beginning of the Bible, God promised Jesus. He promised the redemption in Christ. Speaking to Satan, 
signified in that snake. The seed of the woman will crush your head. Good. Bring Him. Let Jesus come and do it. And He doesn't. Time goes by. More time goes by. A lot of time goes by. God lets the entire earth fill up with wickedness and evil so that it's full. I'm going to punish them all and kill all humanity with a flood. Except for eight persons. And He does. And He starts with the eight again. And they start to replenish the earth in time and a lot of time and more time goes by. And then He finally calls a pagan Abram out of Mesopotamia and says, through you, I'm going to give you a promise. I'm going to bless you, but I'm going to bless the entire earth, humanity, through you, Abraham. Okay, do it. Time goes by. He has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. They end up in Egypt for over 400 years. In slavery. And then he calls and raises up Moses to deliver them out of slavery in Egypt, gives his people, the physical descendants of Abraham, the law, brings them over the Jordan into the promised land through Joshua, a few hundred years of judges and rebellion and judges and more rebellion. And then finally we want a king. More time goes by and He gives them kings. And then there's another thousand years of terrible, rebellious history of God's people, Israel. So what's going on? Did God miss it? Is He incompetent? Was He too late? Paul's answer is no. He did everything perfectly like He planned. He sent His Son through Mary at precisely the right moment. And He lived and He preached and He died and He was raised. Paul just summarizes that. Christ event this way. According to His good pleasure which He set forth in Christ a plan for the fullness of time. And when the times were full, almost 2,000, well, actually over 2,000 years ago now, 4 B.C., He said, Gabriel, go to Mary. That's what Paul is driving at. What was the goal? Verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time in order to unite all things in Christ. Jesus. What are things in heaven or things on earth? In other words, to unite all things in Christ, it means everything. When he says heaven and earth, don't get that's just his term for saying comprehensively in creation, everything has been wrecked, messed up, affected. 
That's what he's talking about. Paul says this clearly in Romans 8. The whole creation groans and suffers the pangs of childbirth together. It's waiting, it's waiting, it's waiting for Jesus' second coming. It's waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Everything's been wrecked. And so when he says here, to unite all things in Him, He's saying it is Jesus. He's the one that all will finally be made right. Everything will be unified in the eternal second person of the Trinity who became a human being forever and Everything will be unified under the Lordship of Jesus the Christ. Whether that unification is through eternal damnation under the Lordship of Jesus who will judge all humanity and every knee will bow or under His everlasting Mercy. Singing willfully and joyfully, worthy is the Lamb who was slain and shed His blood for our salvation. That's what Paul wants every Christian to know. He wants us to know these things. That's why He writes them. And so let me appeal then to you. Dear believer, run away from the prevalent anti-intellectual Deception that is rampant in the evangelical church world. Now, because I use the word intellectual, that can really throw people. Because some of us really dislike intellectuals for good reason, because they have no wisdom, many. So let me just say the same thing again when I say run away from the anti-intellectual deception that's just infiltrating the evangelical church world. I'll just say it in different words. Run away from this anti-understanding what the Bible actually says. Deception that is rampant in the evangelical church world. It says, Jesus loves me, this I know, and that's all I ever really want to know. It says, well, I don't want to get caught up in trying to really understand what Paul says in Ephesians 1, because we don't all agree. So let's just not go there. Or Ephesians 2, or Ephesians 3, or, okay, or Luke 4. We just, let's just not go there. Oh, run from it. Why? Because I say with the authority of Scripture, we are meant to understand these things. We're meant to understand what God has given us 
So work at it. We're meant to understand them with our minds and with our hearts. And that's why Paul says in our text, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will. And He did it according to His good pleasure which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time in order to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. We are to have insight according to this text. That means use your mind and your heart. We are to have insight into the mystery. He uses the word mysterion. You can hear the English mystery here. He doesn't mean it's a mystery. That's not what the word meant the way he's using it. Mystery in the New Testament and here, it means something was obscure. It was hidden. It was unclear. But now, it has been made clear in the person of Jesus Christ. The mystery is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. In the fullness of time, He has come. And then, the Hebrew Scriptures, in a way they never did before, really opened up. It's Him. It's Him. It's Him. And so I plead with you, know the mystery. Know the Gospel. Believe it. Love it. Cherish it. It is what Paul was laying out for us in Ephesians chapter 1. And it is meant to be grasped. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to I'm going to close by reading Paul's closing of the great epistle to the Romans. And I want you to hear how he uses the word there again, mystery. Because it's the same Paul and he has the same theology. Just hear what's important to him after that great, if not greatest of all books ever written. And now... To Him who is able to strengthen you according to My Gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revealing of the mystery that was hidden or kept secret for long ages but has now been revealed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God in order to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus 
Christ. Amen. The mystery at its core is that we who have fled for refuge in the person of Jesus Christ in response to the message of His life, death, and resurrection, we have obtained redemption through His blood. And that's what we will do now as we celebrate the remembrance of His bloody death through the body and the blood of Christ, through the bread and the cup. So every baptized believer, you take it as it comes by, and you hold it, we'll pray over it, and partake together. Oh, Father, You are good. You are great. It is so good to know as Your adopted children that our forgiveness of our sins today, tomorrow, until the grave is Your good pleasure that You purposed through Jesus Christ before You ever created anything. Oh, cause us to come to You knowing and trusting that truth on a daily basis to the glory of the blood, the sacrifice, the life, and the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.